Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Maura. And on today's episode, we're going to relive our days working on MuggleNet and being infatuated by Harry Potter fan sites. Plus, we have some interesting news concerning the cursed child. We'll get to that in a second. But first, just a couple items of housekeeping. Next week, we will be releasing our fifth ever Wizarding World movie commentary. And actually, a poll just went live on our Patreon asking supporters what Harry Potter movie they want us to record a commentary for next We'll record that next week, and we'll see who's leading the poll at the end of today's episode, because it literally just got posted. And then also just want to let everybody know that the week after next, which is Memorial Day week, we will be taking off. We will be back on June 7th. So if you're missing us, check out some old episodes of MuggleCast. You can visit the website and click on must listens for some episode recommendations. Andrew, our existing commentary tracks are all on our MuggleCast website, right? Yes. And also on the must listens page. Nice. So if you want to hear any of those past ones we've done so far, you can check those out. MuggleCast.com. Then click on must listens. We've done so far Half-Blood Prince, Deathly Hallows Part 2, Fantastic Beasts, and Fantastic Beasts 2. A little sporadic there. (laughs) Yes, very much so. And also, one other item. Last week, I called myself Plant Daddy on the show. And Micah said, I'm going to buy you a t-shirt that says Plant Daddy on it. Look what arrived in the mail today, everybody. I just turned my camera on. So isn't that nice? It's a great shirt. Look at that big font with little plants on it. Oh, it's The plants are in the letters. It's honestly perfect. You're welcome. Is this from you, Micah? It's from all of us. Oh, thanks, everyone. That's so nice. Micah did the shopping, though. I, I paid for it, but it's from all of us. <laughs> oh. It was literally the best deal of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's an excellent shirt. This is exactly the one I would buy okay. if I ever was shopping for Plant Daddy t-shirts. So thank you very mm-hmm. much. I did check with Laura first. I, you know, I, I didn't I send you? I asked you, like, what size is Andrew? Like, color, all that stuff. So. <laughs> Laura was a big help. Yeah, I'm Andrew. You don't know this, but I'm your official stylist. Oh, yeah. I'll take you to Target next time. I'm shopping for some other clothes too. We get you some Massimo clothes or something at Target. Yeah, they have a new brand now. Oh, I think I'm wearing one of the shirts right now. Actually, um, Goodfellow. That's it. Okay, so on to a little bit of news. We found out this week that much of Broadway will be reopening this September, but Cursed Child won't be one of the plays opening alongside the rest of Broadway. A New York Times report on reopenings reveals that Cursed Child will not reopen until 2022 because, quote, the show is rethinking its length and structure before deciding how and when to reopen. Oh, my gosh. This is kind of crazy news. Well, well, well. So a little context. In late 2019, we spoke here on the show about The Cursed Child on Broadway's sagging ticket sales. Ticket sales dropped 50% between 2018 and 2019, even as the show continued lowering its ticket prices. So the show had managed to continue selling out, but with smaller earnings, which has made the very expensive show a riskier business to run. And remember, they were trying other ways to boost ticket sales. So they changed the the font to the classic Harry Potter mo- book and movie logo. They added J.K. Rowling's name to the title. They even released footage from the play itself, which, you know, go back to 2016 That idea sounds unheard of because of keep the secrets. Nobody spoil anything. If you do, you're Wormtaily and I hate you. So 
this line from the New York Times about them restructuring the play and shortening the length probably means, I think, that they're going to convert it into one show, right? Instead of two. And this is just a Broadway situation. This is not a West End situation or anywhere else where it's being produced. Is this going to be like a larger decision? I think it is going to be everywhere. Maybe not. But I also read somewhere else that they're workshopping this in England. They're putting this plan together in England. Mm. And it's definitely going to affect Broadway. The only Cursed Child show that's open right now is the one in Australia. No others are open right now. Yeah, yeah. because Australia has its bleep together on like most of the rest <laughs> of the world. But Well, you guys remember when we saw Cursed Child in New York together? We saw it on, I think, a Wednesday, which meant that both parts were play- like played in one day. We did part one and then went and had dinner at Sardi's and then went back for part two. Yeah. So the cast is capable. They obviously know their lines. I feel like that would be if they managed to trim an hour off somewhere because each each of the plays was easily two hours, right? Yeah, they're a little I think they're closer to two and a half hours, including the 20 minute intermission. Yeah. So if they figure out just how to cut down, I'm going to say maybe 90 minutes of the play, then you just have a really long one part play. But I think did we think it was just hard that people weren't coming back for part two? Like. It's a big commitment, isn't it? Yeah. It's multi-day. On any any day right. besides like Wednesday, you have to come back on like a different day entirely to see part two. Yeah, it was a heck of a commitment. Especially in New York, a lot of people attending Broadway are tourists who might be there on limited time. Um, you know, God knows whether things can come up when you're traveling, right? So it is really big to commit to being in a specific place on different days for a two and a half hour show. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree. And it's just one of those things that may be a casualty of of COVID too, where people just are going to be much more intentional about their time moving forward Mm -hmm. and their money for that matter. Yeah. And if sales were not where they wanted them to be even prior to the pandemic, then this is probably a smart business decision for them to condense the show down and try and create something that is just as exciting. I, I mean, I will say, having seen the full show, it's hard to think of it being cut down in any way just because it was entertaining for the full amount of time. Here's the other thing, because if they cut stuff out, what happens to all those scenes? Like, are they still considered canon? Right. Because we were told this stuff is canon. And then we have these script books. We have this be- behind the scenes book with all the yeah. scenes. Like, yeah, well, here, listen, they're going to re, they're, they're going to do, they're going to make the edits. They're going to release another script book and they're going to call it the ninth Harry Potter story. No. <laughs> That's what it's going to do. It's store shelves worldwide. Right. And then like, what do they do with all those books that haven't sold all the script books? I don't know. I just have weird questions like that. And then like, it's a a very like logistical nightmare. The crazy thing is if this was a barrier for them for ticket sales, they really should have workshopped this better before they went and released it. Like it's playing five places worldwide, six places worldwide. Like Mm -hmm. this play is everywhere. And so it's a heck of a thing to do several years later in the show's history and not like right out the gate. But here's the other thing. They just got greedy. This should never have been a two-part play. That's kind of unheard of. 
in the theater industry. It's very hard to do because, like we're saying, you have to get people back uh, either to commit to a whole day for a single show or stay overnight to see both parts. It's expensive, too. Yeah, you're, you're paying for two plays. Yeah, yeah, you have to pay for both. You have to buy separate tickets. They got greedy because Harry Potter is insanely popular and they had this big story that a few people came up with and they said, let's do it. It'll it'll work out. People will be dying to see it. And there was a lot of demand at the beginning, but then it waned pretty quickly at those prices. You know, the story barely made sense as it was in five hours. How are they going to cut it down and have it still make any kind of sense? I, that's what I'm worried oh, about. Come on. Like, how could this possibly? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, Am I sensing a theme here with sort of like current present day Wizarding World projects, uh, perhaps being too many parts Mm. (laughs) and the story suffering as a result? Yeah, I agree with that. I had another note in here when I was angrier about this that I've since deleted. What it said was, whoever's in charge of the major creative decisions at Wizarding World Inc. needs to be fired. Because they are making really bad choices when it comes to Fantastic Beasts and uh, Cursed Child. Cursed Child, let's do two parts. Signed off on that. Let's hire Johnny Depp. Signed off on that. Let's let this script that J.K. Rowling wrote go. Let's greenlight it. Let's make this happen. I don't think it's just J.K. Rowling who's at fault here. I think there's other people higher up who are making bad creative decisions. Well, I think... There may also be people who are afraid to say no. Um, I mean, I I have to admit, staring, you know, into the face of, you know, the author, but also just the face of this global franchise, I can understand why it could be hard to say no to that sometimes. Yeah. Um, But that's really why they need somebody with enough creative control who you know, has the, you know, what to say it, <laughs> you know? Right. Something right. else that that just came to mind when you were mentioning that, Laura, though, too, is a lot of what has transpired with J.K. Rowling has taken place over the course of the last year when Cursed yep. Child has been not running um, from a show perspective, right? And I don't know that there's going to be a large amount of people that would make the decision to not go see Cursed Child because of what J.K. Rowling said. But that could be part of what's going on here, too. There's a lot of suspect publicity around the author right now, and maybe they don't want to have to deal with that as much. Um, but that aside, switching gears, you know, look, it's we're also talking about people's jobs you know, not having a second part to that play. They've redesigned spending millions of dollars, these theaters, so that they function just for Cursed Child. So I think that that's something that they need to take into consideration. I don't know how much money the the play has made to date, but has it made enough yet to pay off all of the construction work that was done to those theaters so that they can do all the crazy magical things that they do? I think that's a good point too. They they made a huge investment here right. here and now they want to set up Cursed Child for the long term. And in order to do that, in order for it to be successful long term, they think they need to cut it down to just one show. It makes sense. Yeah. And and who knows the success of it moving forward though too because Eric just raised like the original cast or or sorry Andrew, you mentioned paying the cast, but the original cast is 
is not even there anymore. They've all gone on to do other things. So I think the allure kind of dwindles too when you don't have the original cast involved. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. The demand is just not there. And two parts is too much for people. Okay. And, you know, Harry Potter's had a rough couple of years. It's it's so interesting starting off this show talking about something that calls into question sort of the longevity of Harry Potter's immediate future when we're also spending the episode talking about like retrospective, the longevity <laughs> of this know. series, like up to this point, like we're talking about joining MuggleNet, you know, all that. We'll get into it. But like, you know, the last 17, 18, 19 years, like unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I, I apologize for being so critical about The Cursed Child. I do like the show and I'm bummed that a lot of people probably are not going to see both parts, including Laura. Laura, you mm-hmm. might never see the full show. Uh, oh, man. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think you're right, Eric. This does feel kind of surreal, but I think it's okay to acknowledge it. Like, the way that I think the series will continue to be big, and I think that it will continue to have an impact on people. It's just not going to look the same as it looked in 2007. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For oh, sure. I agree. I'm fine with the series not raking in two million dollars every week uh, <laughs> through, you know, theater shows. I, I think it it will just change. It will just be different. And I'm just frustrated they took this gamble with the two part idea. And yeah, to change it, it later. Ultimately, right, right. It's an embarrassment for them. And there have been a few embarrassments. And I, you know, I want I criticize because I care. Mm-hmm. We all yeah. criticize because we care. That's so. honestly the unofficial tagline to this show. <laughs> that should be our new right tagline. behind. Yeah. No theory is safe. It's uh, we <laughs> criticize because we care. But you have to wonder though, too. Was this always a possibility in the back of their mind? I, I maybe the pandemic made it a little bit more realistic, but cutting down the show could have always been something that they had as a contingency plan. Just knowing that the time commitment, the financial commitment, it's big. True. It's not. It's not like everybody has that kind of money, number one, and has the, the time to be able to sit in a theater for you know, almost six hours. I think they were just blinded by the potential profits that they could be making with two parts instead of one. And you know, it's Harry Potter. And they I get couldn't it. even it's train huge. an owl. They couldn't even train an owl. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it will be interesting to see how they spin this whenever this eventually gets announced. And it'll be interesting to see what they do about you know, the stuff that they scrap, if they'll acknowledge all that stuff, just don't cut the uh, Albus and, and Scorpius dancing on the staircases, please. I beg you, you know, cut anything that, but that, you know, that's going away. Don't you dare <laughs> suggest that, Laura. OK, so we'll get to our discussion on fan sites in a moment. But first, Masterclass is back to sponsor this week's episode of MuggleCast, and they offer Hogwarts level classes for us muggles. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds, anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. There are courses on all kinds of subjects. I want to focus on some of the writers since we're a show about a book. Margaret Atwood teaches how to create compelling characters. Roxanne Gay teaches the business of writing and publishing. Salman Rushdie and Neil Gaiman teach storytelling and writing. Eric, you've been in Masterclass. What have you been taking? I've been taking R.L. Stein teaches <gasps> writing for young audiences. This wow. guy is like a childhood hero. Yeah. I read the Goosebumps books. They were the books that I was into before Harry Potter, honestly, if I'm being honest. Uh, and watching R.L. Stein or 
Bob, as he prefers to be called. Hi, I'm Bob. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Teach, he talks about his where ideas come from. He talks about story outline and how to keep readers engaged. It's all fundamentals that are useful, both when writing for young audiences and writing for all audiences. So I thought it was an amazing way to jumpstart my reinvigoration of my writing. Yeah, you can apply these lessons to your fan fiction exactly. that you're working on as well. I'll be like, wow, did R.L. Stein write this? This is really good. <laughs> yes, that scene where Harry's chess monster is literal. Uh, yeah, crazy. <laughs> I just finished up a masterclass on dog training with Brandon McMillan, which was really good. And I'm going to, I took some notes and I'm going to apply those lessons to any future dogs that I adopt, as well as Brooklyn. Obviously, I've been training him with the masterclass lessons I've been watching. I also just started a masterclass with Sarah Blakely. She founded Spanx and she teaches a course on entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, being the founder of Spanx, she knows what she's talking about. So really great stuff on Masterclass. This is just, this was just such a brilliant idea. Masterclass is the perfect way to learn a new skill or bring your existing passion to the next level. I think all of us remember how good it felt to learn new things in school with our favorite teachers. Now you can have that experience again at Masterclass from proven familiar faces in classes that are designed for everyone. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a MuggleCast listener, you get 15% off in annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash MuggleCast. That's masterclass.com slash MuggleCast for 15% off masterclass. Okay, so let's jump into our main discussion now. We want to revisit the best of MuggleNet and other Harry Potter fan sites that were out there. I had this idea because every once in a while I pop into the Wayback Machine. For anybody who doesn't know, this is a site where you can pop in a domain like MuggleNet.com and you can see the site at every point in its history. And it's a real throwback and it can be really fun to browse. And I thought, why don't we just hang out and talk about fan sites? Because we were all so involved with MuggleNet back in the early 2000s. So I thought to get us started, we could talk about each of our roles on MuggleNet during the big years and how we got our job. So Eric, let's start with you, because I think you came on board MuggleNet before any of us. Yeah, I think there had been like maybe four guys before me um, back in November of 2002. And you're still there. Uh, That's true. (laughs) I still, yeah, not many people know this. I don't advertise it all the time, but I still run the weekly caption contest. Uh, and there have been over 440 weeks and 440 wow, wow. different images. But I've you know, it started up. It started off kind of funny, actually. Emerson himself was doing a lot of the work at that time on the various sections of the site, including uh, what they called Potter profiles, MuggleNet's fan of the week. And I had a friend in high school called Justin who found MuggleNet, knew that I, you know, was on the internet as well, and submitted my name and sort of a little bit about me to Emerson to feature me on Potter profile. So I got an email out of the blue from Emerson saying, Hey, here, answer these questions. And I didn't know anything about it. And I looked into it and it turns out that, you know, Justin knew that I had just gotten into Harry Potter and had just started by typing up the Harry Potter books into my computer and all of that fun, geeky, nerdy stuff. Um, Wait, why did you put all 
the Harry Potter books in your computer? Well, uh, because there weren't any ebooks that were easily accessible at the time, and I wanted to oh. do find commands so Ooh. that I could be more of a geeky fan and all of that. So I, oh. I sat and basically typed page by page the first three Holy. Harry Potter books. Yeah. You missed wow. your calling, uh, Eric. You could have invented the Kindle or the ebook or anything like that <laughs> you were the precursor writing the books just the act of doing that having jk rowling's words flow through me i wasn't creating them i wasn't writing the words but i was i was literally transcribing them um committed so much of those books to my memory like permanently like so for years wow. later so it really it really really worked later when we were getting into muggle cast and and for a very long time there you know, the first three books are like seared in my memory because of that. But so Emerson was like blown away. He's like, this is total nerd <laughs> we behavior. We gotta hire this guy. Dude, yeah, exactly. And so I talked to them on AIM then after the profile was released. And he said, would you like to, you know, do something for the site? I said, sure. And it was week three of the caption contest. And I guess he was inspired by like the New Yorker, which had a caption contest and like major publications. Um, But he wasn't very interested in, running it uh himself and so that was the section i got I, I just loved the audience interactivity of it the fact that every yeah. week you know real people were submitting their captions and so i just ran with it nice i never knew that about you i don't think i ever knew that about That's you crazy. typed up all the books yeah wait so after book three did you continue doing it no because book four was twice as long and by that point I did a Napster command and I found Goblet oh. and the other books. And I was like, this there is was another been... Eric out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but it was actually fun. I, I, for a very long time, we're going to talk about this later, but I actually did. I was very proficient in MS paint as well. And Who I wasn't, and I designed <laughs> okay. my, I know it was, I was a paint hobbyist and I very much did a Mary Grand Prix chapter art as if they were like, you know, like, but I did them in paint. So in full color. Wow. So that, what I'm taking away from this is that you're just a master plagiarizer. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. I'm just kidding. No, it's, well, I never it's sold. very impressive I know. though. Yeah. I will say though, it is very impressive that you typed out the first three Well, books. the thing is, that was how I felt about having just discovered Harry through the first film the year prior and having read the books, like I borrowed my friend's books before getting my own. Um, and so I just had all this energy that I was devoting into this series that I discovered for the first time. A fan site was the perfect outlet for somebody that is that obsessed with Harry. It's like, yes, give me like access to something that like a lot of, let me create something that a lot of people are going to see. That's the perfect sort of place for somebody like, like us, like all of us. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. say that because I could just as easily see you in like the library after school on the <laughs> the scanner, like winking at the librarian, just saying like, just one more page. I just need to scan in one more page. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then you have here that you actually referenced Jamie for a job on the site. Yes. Yeah. I met Jamie in December of that same year in like a chat room and got him in touch with Emerson. That's wow. Uh, it, my recollection is that I met Jamie before he worked for MuggleNet and then actually put him in touch with, I think Damon was like the pseudo hiring guy back then. 
but uh, oh, okay. all these names, it's just I know. I this <laughs> is set, I this is supposed what, to set the tone. What yeah, I'm feeling yeah. when I hear these names in some cases, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe I, the emotion. Damon was pretty grumpy. Yeah, he was. I just want to highlight here how weird it is to hear these stories and remember that we all got hired like over ch- like AIM or email. I don't think yeah. any of us talk to anyone on the phone like we could have literally been anyone and we just got hired to work on this fan site because it was like oh yeah you seem passionate (laughs) do you (laughs) want all this responsibility you're right yeah so for me i was i was running my own pair of harry potter fan sites harry potter's house and then the potter profile but you know MuggleNet was the big site so i wanted to work for MuggleNet. And by the way, of course, when we're talking working, we're talking volunteering. We were all kids. <laughs> Child labor, basically. That was honestly an issue of contention with my family. It'd be like, oh, I work for a website. You work for it? Do you get paid? They didn't understand. No. But didn't Emerson buy you a hat once? He <laughs> Oh, it was boy. like it was Notre like Dame. my third. Yeah, it was November of '05 when we had our our first MuggleCast live show at the Barnes and Noble, and we were walking past a Lids in Times Square, and I was like, "Hey, Emerson, it's my three year anniversary of MuggleNet," and he's like, "Oh, neat!" And then he like bought me a hat, and we went inside Lids, and he's like, "Here, have this." Wow. Thanks for three years at MuggleNet. <laughs> Here's a hat. That <laughs> it was, it was a cool hat. There's, it's the one that's in the photo of all of us at, in Times Square. Is that? Hat. Oh, really? That's uh, funny. I will say that is on brand. <laughs> <laughs> it was all worth it. It was. Uh, I would do anything for you. Do you still have the hat? Uh, I, I actually don't think I do. All right, Micah, get out the credit card again. You got to buy Eric a Notre Dame hat. <laughs> I wanted to say Lids. plant daddy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I had an in at MuggleNet. I knew somebody who knew Ben, who was kind of one of the top people at MuggleNet at the time. And I got Ben's email address and I begged and I begged and I begged him for a job. I wanted it really badly. And he finally was like, okay, dude, sure. And that's the lesson, kids. <laughs> if, if you want something, keep trying and eventually you'll get it. So I can't remember how exactly this part happened, but my first section on MuggleNet was the jkrolling.com info section. And I'm pretty sure I created it from scratch. I think MuggleNet didn't have a section dedicated to her site at the time. And it, the site needed a section dedicated to the site because of all those Easter eggs and whatnot. Yeah. So I... uh got approval to do that. And I was really proud of that section. And I loved running that section. It was like my own corner of MuggleNet since I had started it, created it from scratch. And then I got power hungry. And I was like, I want to write news. I want to do this. I want to do that. And eventually, eventually, I was running the site for a good, I don't know, five, six years, maybe a little more. That speaks to me. I mean, it really was our passion that drove the whole thing, you know, that kept it going. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. For me, I started out initially. I, I heard the first episode of of MuggleCast. I had been going to MuggleNet for a little while, and I know we're going to talk about this a little later too. But I was really like hell bent on the editorial section. I loved reading everything that was in there. But when I heard the podcast, I had done a little bit of radio when I was in college, and I was pretty much fresh out of college at the time. I think. And I reached out to Kevin 
somehow I was able to connect with him. I don't know if it was his AIM screen name that was listed maybe on the bio page. Is that possible? Yes, we we did have our AIM names on there. Isn't that weird? We were like, anybody message us. (laughs) (laughs) Considering how much traffic that site got back then, that was opening the floodgates to a lot of disaster. But nobody ever messaged. Yeah, for real. And I feel like for a while, some of us got kind of exclusive and we made like public facing AIM names that we could sign into (laughs) separately so that we could at least... Like, oh yeah. Are you looking at me, Eric L. Mugglenet? No, I, I like had one too. I had Mugglenet <laughs> yeah. Laura. Um well, there you go. Yeah. And it was like, okay, like I I want to chat with people now, <laughs> you know, so you could make the choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's I, I totally forgot about that. But yeah, that's how I connected with Kevin. And I think Kevin reached out to you, Andrew, and you reached out to me and and basically I was in a similar position to you where I just, I wanted to do anything. So I think I probably had some recommendations on the podcast and you were like, oh, you, you want to do the transcripts? And that's how I got myself <laughs> started. It was tedious job, terrible job, to be honest with you. Uh, Sounds no, like Eric should have been doing it. <laughs> yeah. With all of his experience, we didn't know typer. he had. Yeah. It's honestly, t- yeah. it's honestly by the grace of God that I became a host and not a transcriber because <laughs> it would have gone the other way. It, it actually wasn't a terrible job. It, it, I mean, I learned a lot doing it, but then finally you offered me the opportunity to do the news and then finally come on the show. And so ever since then, um, MuggleCast was really my entry into MuggleNet. And I think when I started doing some work for the site, it was the name origin section, which uh, I know we talked about Professor Sprout's name origin on the last episode. <laughs> and uh, similar to you, Andrew, I think I took over the site after you. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I lasted as long as you did, but. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like, to heck with this, I'm out. And to your credit, Micah, like what you were saying about transcripts not being your favorite thing, you still managed that whole team of people. I mean, it was dozens of people that were all contributing to that. Yeah. Yeah. Dozens of people and, and, you know, uh, from all different parts of the world in some cases too, not just the country. So how they would interpret things would be different. So you'd have to go through and and streamline and edit and, uh, but they were great. I mean, it was a lot of work though, it, because you were basically carving up the episode every week to send it out to different people. And then they had to make sure that they got it back to you on time so you could get the transcript posted. And some people were better than others and other people ran into conflicts, right? Like that's life. These are volunteers and they're just doing their best. But um, it was it was a great group of people. It, it made my life much easier than when I was at first doing them all by myself. Shout out to all the MuggleCast transcribers over the years. Mm-hmm. And then Laura, how'd you get started? So I got started through MuggleNet fan fiction, actually. What happened was um, MuggleNet was getting ready to launch its fan fiction site. And before it officially launched, it wanted to hire 15 or so fan fiction moderators um, because, and rightfully so, they didn't just want anyone to be able to post anything. They wanted there to be some sort of like quality control going on. Um, so they posted the opening on MuggleNet and had a few application questions that they wanted you to email in. So I emailed in. I think they might have gotten 80 to 100 submissions 
somewhere in there, I seem to recall. Um, And they picked 15 of us, which at the time made me feel like, oh, my God, they must have read my application and just like been blown away by it. In reality, Emerson (laughs) probably just replied to the first 15 people who reached out (laughs) to him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they reply fast, they're probably good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I think I just applied really fast for it. I think that's why I got in. Um, I did that for a while. Um, I was I had been working on the fan fiction site for well over a year when MuggleCast got started. And I've told this story on the show before, so I won't go into it again. But the TLDR is I was uh, giving the original panel uh, a little bit of a hard time about the fact that there was no female representation on the show. And Andrew was like, okay, well, then why don't you come on? So the rest is history. I'm here. And kind of like Micah, MuggleCast was sort of my bridge to the main site. Um, So I started picking up more responsibilities there. I ran the book mistakes page. um, And I also did some occasional news as well. But I also just remember doing a lot of like, general quality control. Like I did a lot of editing pages for grammar and spelling and just making sure that things were, you know, clean, and everything like that. Um, And that didn't last terribly long. I think that was like my senior year of high school. And then I started realizing how much BS it was that (laughs) this site was actually making some money and they weren't paying any of the volunteers at the time. (laughs) So I was like, "Mm, deuces, I'll still stay on MuggleCast because I'm passionate about that. And I like the people I do it with. But uh, I dipped out on the main site pretty early. Yeah, you know, our priorities change as we grow up and we, you know, try to figure Mm -hmm. out what we're doing, what we need to do to make some money to, you know, survive. So I thought now we could get into the site itself, just kind of like going through some of the sections. Again, I was poking around on the site through the uh, Wayback Machine. And man, what a throwback this is to be able to really explore most of the site. Some things don't work, like the poll or the flash games, but all the text-based content still appears thanks to the Wayback Machine. So first of all, just to start with the basics, the homepage. We had the news and we had the countdown widget on the homepage uh, when a book or movie was coming up. And I know, Laura, you were obsessed with the countdown. Yeah. So I had actually been a frequent visitor to MuggleNet long before I ever worked there. It had been a couple of years that I had been uh, basically consistently stalking that site. It was my homepage in, uh, Mm -hmm. in my browser um, really in my friend group, like I was the Harry Potter girl. I had friends who like casually were into Harry Potter and they would go to the movies with me and stuff. And and some of them even read the books, but nobody was as entrenched and obsessed with it as I was. So MuggleNet was really my outlet to connect with other people uh, who had the same level of interest as I did. And I remember... Uh, There was a countdown for the Order of the Phoenix book release that I was mesmerized by. (laughs) (laughs) Why were you mesmerized? I don't know, because I was, I I don't know, I was obsessed. I was like heavily into writing fan fiction at that point. I think I mentioned uh, previously that I wrote 
a book five fan fiction prior to Order of the Phoenix coming out because Harry Potter was my outlet. (laughs) So I definitely uh, watched that countdown with bated breath as it got into like the single digit days (laughs) towards the release. Because it was like, yeah, we were all really looking forward to it. So it, so it was like, oh my God, 10 seconds, nine seconds, right. eight seconds, <laughs> so good. and three months, four days, yeah. <laughs> two hours. There, there was something just about all of those releases, whether it was a book, whether it was a movie, whether it was a new trailer, there was such a level of excitement that was created, certainly amongst the staff, and I got to imagine among visitors to the site as well. But I love the different um, layouts that you could choose. And oh, so many. I, I just remember, I mean, Andrew, I don't know that we count the number of times that the site would go down because a new trailer was released, right? Like, yeah. We run into so and many issues. Used, and we used to, these, this was the days before YouTube and we had to upload the trailer to our own server. Oh, and yeah. Damon, the server guy would hate that because it would crash the site, <laughs> but there was no place to put it. So we had to put it on our server. And I remember the, the cost associated with hosting these videos was extraordinary. Oh my God. Not to mention <laughs> rendering and buffering in like 56 K. Like we, yeah. didn't, we didn't have a fast internet or high, what you'd even call high speed internet for several years, at least at my house. Right. And we couldn't watch on our phone the second it was released. We had to wait till we got home. And we were always racing against the other sites, right? To get it up. Oh, that, yeah. that was part of the We'll talk about too. that in a second. Yeah, we'll talk about the fan site competition a little later. But yeah, the big news days were always so exciting because I've always been somebody who's a news junkie and I always loved covering the news for Harry Potter fans. And that was, you know, easily some of the best times of my life, especially those big news days, because I just felt like I was really helping people get the latest big Harry Potter news. And that was just always so much fun to write and then see people responding to. By the way, I remember with the MuggleNet countdowns, I don't know when this started, but eventually we added a feature to let people add it to their desktop their Windows desktop. And I thought that was like, whoa, this is amazing. I don't even have to go to MuggleNet to see the countdown. I could just look at my desktop. (laughs) So cool. (laughs) Some like (laughs) iframe widget thing. Yeah. I also wanted to touch on the design because Micah, like you mentioned, we had a lot of themes and I think we got like crazy with the themes at one point. We probably had like 30 themes available simultaneously. Yeah, there were there point. were too many in the end. There, <laughs> there were. Poor Dylan was just <laughs> toiling away. Little did he know, Eric, he could have come to you to uh, help him in uh, paint. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, it was cool because he would use all the promo posters and materials. Like my favorite were when the Chamber of Secrets posters came out and you had Ron with the Mandrake or Harry and then Hermione with like the, I think it was a book, but like the original Chamber of Secrets ones were still my favorites. Though, fun fact, in our fan site award, JK Rowling said that she was a fan of the Dementor layout. Explains a lot. Yeah, she specifically calls out the <laughs> MuggleNet layout. <laughs> no, um, I was tempted to say something, but... <laughs> I just think those layouts are part of the iconic look of, of MuggleNet. Like, I, I personally yeah. always enjoyed the holiday-themed ones, so maybe a little bit opposite end of the Dementors. Oh, uh, yeah. like, but Halloween, uh, yeah. Christmas, like those were... like I felt like you could put those up pretty much any time of year, and it would... It was cool. Do y'all remember um, 
when those layouts started trending towards sometimes having the images in the top banner covering parts of the word MuggleNet. Yeah. And I remember I had very strong feelings about that. I pinged Emerson and I was like, that looks dumb. <laughs> this is bad for our brand. <laughs> and he was like, well, I mean, big magazines like Vogue do it. And I was like, well, oh, was like, we're not God. Vogue. <laughs> well, we weren't not Vogue. I, yeah. Right? Like, we were the Vogue of the Harry Potter world. Yeah, we honestly. were. <laughs> like, that's the craziest thing for how young we were. Did we all say how young we were when we started? Because, like, I was, oh. no, I was, I was uh, 14. And we were given the keys. Like, I'll never remember, I'll never forget pulling up the FTP uh, Ooh, program yeah. and that was logging exciting. in to MuggleNet and realizing that all the little icons that were folders, like folders on a desktop, were the actual sub addresses of the site. Like the first time I got the keys and logged in and having it populate, my mind was blown and I was 14. Like editing, really cool. live, editing the live website like that unbelievable access it's crazy that we didn't run into more issues i guess when there was an issue (laughs) like if somebody accidentally deleted a file damon could restore it i'm sure we had backups it happened once or twice but like i mean (laughs) you would get a stern i don't know whatever you'd call it when somebody's not text messaging you not instant messaging you after a period of having talked to you stern email yeah stern instant message yeah i mean i didn't want to lose my quote job um Right. About the whole thing. And that's what made it special. Well, yeah. And it is amazing that teenagers ran the site. It was mostly teenagers. Some people were older and we had uh, real adults, (laughs) dare I say, you know, people in their people in their 30s or 40s working for the site as well. But they weren't really they weren't at the head of the site. It was the kids making all of the big decisions and designing it mm-hmm. and and programming it. It's really incredible, honestly, that we were able to do this. And and in speaking to that too, it was high technology that you just didn't see used anywhere else. I mean, let's say high technology. It was it was avant-garde, it was new, like new. Like mm-hmm. our layouts used tracking cookies. That's all it was. But this was before most web browsers would be like, do you want to turn cookies on? And so people didn't know about it. People didn't know what they did, but we used them. And it was an easy way for you to like customize whenever you'd load up the site and have it load your personal layout. It was just that touch that made it so entrancing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And what I also found interesting was that I don't, I could be wrong, but I think MuggleNet pioneered this type of website design. And by that, I mean the big header going across the top. You have the nav bar showing every page on the site on the left. And then on the right side of the page, you have a bunch of different widgets like a poll, site updates, mail login, random quote, big news. And then, of course, in the center was the the content that you were trying to browse. But... The reason I bring this up is because I think if you looked at most other Harry Potter sites during that time, you would see a very similar design. And when Twilight came along, you saw similar designs as well. And the same thing for the Hunger Games. Now there are less sites dedicated to particular fandoms because we have Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and all these other places to nerd out on. But am I right that did MuggleNet pioneer this design? I could be completely wrong. But everybody was using this basic same design. 
I think we were the first person to use it or the first site to use it in the fan space. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know where we got it from. I don't know what sort of the thoughts were behind designing it, but yes, absolutely. MuggleNet had a lot of people that followed sort of our layout because we proved that it worked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I feel confident enough to say that we were the first ones ever (laughs) to do that. Yeah. Um, But I think that there was definitely some influence within the fandom for sure. I did, I did some research on this and there's this site called whoishostingthis.com and you know not to get too technical but the thing we were using called uh, is called server sided includes and it's the left nav and the right nav were two separate files that load upon contact so that's all it is so you don't need to do a bunch of coding per every web page and according to this website that was a thing in the late 90s early 2000s so you know, really around the time MuggleNet was being founded in the first couple of years was right when that style was being used as like the new thing to do for a site. So it's not a stretch to say MuggleNet was one of the first. Yeah. And by the way, it was mentioned earlier that Dylan made a lot of the site designs, the themes, and that's true. But in the footer, I was reminded that the original layout and design was created by somebody named navy yeah oh that's that's right right. and navy chose the font for mugglenet uh which was very Mm. difficult i'm trying to remember the name of it i used to know this damn but the the actual (laughs) font that's very hard to uh replicate is yeah scythe font that's what it is s-c-y-t-h-e So I was also looking at MuggleNet.com in July 2007 on the Wayback Machine. And by the way, if you want a link to the Wayback Machine and MuggleNet on the Wayback Machine, we'll include a link in today's show notes. I saw some notable news items I just wanted to mention. So these are the things that we were talking about in July 2007 when the Order of the Phoenix movie and the Deathly Hallows book were coming out in the same month. That was probably MuggleNet's biggest month ever. We had millions upon millions of people visiting the site. I think... On book seven release day itself, we had at least a million people visiting, which was absolutely huge for us. It was probably the the busiest day ever on the site. Um, so here's what's ha- what was happening in July 2007. The Guardian reveals opening to Deathly Hallows, and they had a little passage, the first few lines from the book, but we weren't sure if this was real or not. And it's funny looking at this article because A... It turns out that this actually was the opening to Deathly Hallows. But B, one of MuggleNet's editors, Emily, edited my post to say, I emailed Andrew saying I didn't think the excerpt was real. And then she explained why she didn't think it was real. It reminds me, though, too, Andrew, how much news and other tips we would get and just the whole vetting process and what could be real, what may not be real. And I do remember also notes to your point in some of our news posts where whether it was the person who made the post or somebody else like putting in like a little comment. Also in July, Rowling said a couple of weeks before the book was released that the final word was no longer going to be scar. Ugh. Was that a big deal at the time? Because she had promised that for a while. Yep. It was it was a big deal. I remember feeling like why change it? Um it felt like backing out at the last minute on something that would have been so easy to because like Okay, last week's Quizich answer, right? Um, I've had enough trouble for a lifetime. Hello? Like, why is that a necessary... There's no (laughs) way that's more iconic than Scar. Like, why did she change it? It felt like the last sentence all was well, if you go to the epilogue. Yeah, that too. 
Yeah. Which it. seems like a bit of a cop out, to be honest. It yeah. just it's yeah, after so long, but that also shows how hyper focused we were on every interview that she gave. Like the idea that she had to get out in front of it a couple weeks in advance of the book so that there wasn't this huge backlash on the book not ending in Scar that this one like, I don't know, news round interview she did four years prior was like not a lie. It's like shows how much we were paying attention. Wow, mm-hmm. I completely forgot about Newsround. Oh, yeah, the BBC site. Yeah. Oh, wow. Also that month, Potter fans and the author and publishers were pissed that the New York Times and a couple other newspapers published reviews of the book two days before it was released. Gotta sell those copies. But there weren't spoilers in the reviews, so I don't know what why people were so angry, including people in the MuggleNet comments, like... Everybody was really mad. Probably because of FOMO. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit of a tease, right? To be like, ooh, you got to wait 48 hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Here's our review. I forgot about this. We live streamed us reading book seven from London. I'm so glad you remember this because I don't. Really? I forgot until seeing this story. Well, we were sleep deprived, to be fair. I do remember yeah. this. And Jamie was crying in your arms, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> we were probably crying in each other's arms. I was distraught. <laughs> I mean, I just remember the sort of the competition to finish reading the book, <laughs> you know, before the next morning yeah. when we were recording episode 101. We had just come off the high of episode 100 in London and, you know, then just didn't sleep throughout the night until we had to. It was probably delirious if we were to listen back, like I haven't listened, but I just can't imagine (laughs) that we were very coherent. Yeah, it's funny because I definitely remember recording episode 101 together after we finished reading, but I Mm. have no recollection of us live streaming ourselves actually reading. And I would just be thinking about the camera being on me while reading. And by the way, I probably finished reading last because I'm not the fastest reader. I wonder who actually did finish last. It was Kevin. Kevin. Or finished first. Yeah, because he got it. Kevin finished first. Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, well. Oh, that's cheating. He sent (laughs) me some, I don't remember if he sent me Deathly Hallows in advance or he was like dropping me little things that when I actually (laughs) read it, I would know (laughs) that he was telling the truth that he got it early. (laughs) Um, But that, you know, when you were talking about the New York Times um, review, Andrew, you reminded me of the fact that Twitter wasn't a huge thing at that time. But can you imagine social media being what it is today when Deathly Hallows got released? Like just the spoilers that would go on and the the way people would respond. You'd have to completely avoid social media to avoid those spoilers. Also, just wanted to mention the Wall of Shame. I think this page was probably one of the most uh, popular pages on MuggleNet sim- simply because it was so out there. When people thought of MuggleNet, they thought of the Wall of Shame, I think. And this is where Emerson would post angry emails from people, and he would reply uh, on this page to these emails. And I mean, there was some really crazy stuff here. That was always entertaining to read, right? The Wall of Shame? Yeah. Yeah, mostly because it was unlike anything I had been familiar with. You know, like the idea of internet trolls were not 
you know, wasn't fully formed or widely known to call them that or what that was, but he was essentially, you know, Emerson was getting these emails, uh, even people were like mistaken about who he was or how, what exactly how close his association was. And, you know, he was just letting off steam by posting it, but by doing that, he kind of made it a gag and it was, it, it's just consistently talked about as being one of the most unique parts of MuggleNet is the idea that the webmaster would just take down his fans like that. Mm -hmm. Here's a good email. Hello, Mr. Emerson. You are going to hell for your Satanistic rituals. You might be sexy, but that is no reason to defy God. I will laugh at you when you are down in hell eating pineapples and I am up in heaven being sexy. <laughs> what is that? Oh are you sure Emerson didn't write that himself? Sometimes I wonder if these are real. <laughs> I feel like though this is another part of MuggleNet that was in its own way iconic because people yeah. would always know about the Wall of Shame. I feel like wasn't didn't J.K. Rowling call attention to this too when she gave I think, I think so, she did the yeah. uh, fan site award. So let's talk about editorials, Micah. Like you said earlier, you were really into the editorial section. Yeah, and you know, speaking of another section that I believe J.K. Rowling called attention to in the fan side award, it was the editorials, and yeah, I found them. Th this is really how I got drawn into MuggleNet was the editorial section. I found a number of them to be extremely addicting, and I know it's something that the fans who went to the site checked regularly because it was just constant theorizing, kind of like what we did on the podcast. But you know, they were putting pen to paper and they did an amazing job. And I went back through the Wayback Machine and I listed out all of the different sections. There was the Burrow, the U-Bend, the Underground Lake, which was my personal favorite, Madam Puttyfoot's, the Magic Quill, and Spinner's End, which was also another really great one. And Laura, it looks like you and I had a segment on the podcast way back in the day uh, where we talked to a number of those who were writing these editorials on episode 31. We spoke with Brandon Ford of the Underground Lake. Um, we also spoke to him on episode 55. And then on episode 42, uh, we talked to Robbie Fisher, who run, who used to run the book trolley, uh, which was just basically an entire library of other books that fans who were fans of Harry Potter may be interested in. Um, and then he also uh, wrote The Magic Quill. So uh, I don't yeah. remember any of those conversations that we had, <laughs> and and clearly our set our little segment lasted two episodes. Um, I don't know if that's because <laughs> it tanked or because we couldn't get anybody else. No, but I seem to recall that part of it was a a timing conflict. Like we were having to meet with people to record these segments, sort of independently of the main show recording times, and then they would need to be edited in. So it might have just been that it was, I mean, I was also like 16. So getting, you know, me to commit to anything um, significant in terms of a recurring segment at that point probably would have been a challenge. But Micah, I feel like this was not the only sort of like very literary segment we had. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you and I did some book reviews too, because I remember there was a point on the show where we were trying to think about, like, what's the next Harry Potter going to be? His book seven's coming out. So do we want to start, you know, making this a little more open-ended and talking about other books? Yeah. 
You, you might be right. I don't remember what the name of that segment Me neither. was. If anybody listening <laughs> <laughs> remembers. Um, but I also think that's why we talked with Robbie because um, you know, running the book trolley, that was kind of the area of the site that you could go to if you were, you know, uh, and obviously if you're on MuggleNet, you're a fan of Harry Potter, but just so many recommendations that were there and reviews, right? Like you could read about what the book was about and then make the decision whether or not you wanted to go and read it. So it was like our very own Madam Pince um, on the site. A couple other sections to mention, Muggle Space. Ooh. This yeah. was MuggleNet's MySpace. That was a project. there was software we could buy to make our own social media network i believe so yeah we created muggle space i remember leaky created a social media network around the same time i think my leaky or something like that but the reason i wanted to mention this is because i know somebody i know two people who met through muggle space fell in love and got married i was like wow muggle space oh my god created true love they got divorced at a later time i think but for the time oh, being it was very nice you had to ruin it <laughs> <laughs> i just just want to be honest but yeah muggle space i don't know if it really took off but i thought it was really cool i never used it <laughs> i remember when it was coming out like i didn't think it was a bad idea i just wasn't interested mm-hmm. was was this yeah. a, like a precursor to pottermore maybe you're thinking of... You want to take credit for Pottermore? Well, no, you're thinking of MuggleNet Interactive, which mm. was where you go in and it's kind of flash animated and you collect coins and kind of make your way through the way that, like, the original Pottermore did um, house points and things like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. MuggleNet Interactive was amazing. That had a cool team of people behind it, too. But yeah, yeah, I think that that was the exciting thing about MuggleNet is because you got to remember, this was before social media. In, in the way that we know it now. And so whenever there was something like MySpace or um, JK Rowling's site, MuggleNet really tried to do their own version of it. And I think mm-hmm. everyone was better for having tried. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say, you know, just to that point, and I'd be interested to hear what you all have to say. Like, I learned a lot working on that site. Just Same. Yep, definitely. In general, like, from a coding standpoint, from a writing standpoint. Um, so I credit- Teamwork standpoint. Well, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Managing some people in some cases too, like you were talking about earlier with the transcripts. So I, I credit MuggleNet with, with learning a lot of skills. Yeah. Well, I think also just learning how to interact with and in a fan community- I mean, the reason yeah. we're all here right now is because of this experience we had. Yeah. Plant Daddy. Okay, so a couple other things really quick. The name origin section, a couple yeah, of people I mean, here really liked it. Yeah, you know, I, I ran it at 1.2. I think that it, it just is such a cool section and, and really uh, a beginner fans um, goldmine treasure trove of figuring out what exactly, like to just realize how many layers there are to the writing. Like that's the page that I would send people to if I was trying to convince them that the Harry Potter series was deep. Oh, no mm-hmm. question. The stuff that you learned in researching a lot of that was – it's mind-blowing to be honest with you. Like, it, it, yeah. Assuming she did that level of research for a number of different things in the Potter series, which I think it 
we probably believe she did. So it, I always just had a lot of fun learning from that page. It wasn't a job. It was a learning experience. <laughs> That's beautiful, Micah. So in a minute, we'll talk about competing with other fan sites and so much happened there over the years. So we can touch on that. And I have a surprise for you three. Don't worry, Emerson's not coming on the show. Oh my God. Spy on Sparks 2021. <laughs> so, yeah. That's when you would see and- Laura has left the Zoom. <laughs> And uh, we also asked our Patreon supporters what they loved about MuggleNet, and we'll read some of those. But first, we have one more sponsor this week, BetterHelp. Taking care of your mental health is extremely important. And if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy in a way that's not daunting at all. Within 48 hours, you can start speaking with a therapist right from wherever you're listening to MuggleCast, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to take a time-consuming trip to a therapist's office. I use BetterHelp and I meet with a therapist weekly who I speak with via the live text chat. We are able to have quick discussions thanks to being able to see what we're each typing in real time. There's no waiting for the other person to send their message. It is very nice. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MuggleCast, that's Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we have a special offer for you. MuggleCast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash MuggleCast. Again, 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash MuggleCast. So let's talk about competing with other fan sites. So some of the other fan sites, there was the Leaky Cauldron, there was Veritaserum, there was HPANA, there was Harry Potter Fan Zone, our friend Andy. And I'm trying to think, did you guys visit any other fan sites early well, on? There were sites that were dedicated to specific actors, but I guess those came later. Yeah, well, like RupertGrint.net. Not much later, though. Not much later. Yeah, they, they yeah. were all around that time. But th- that's an interesting point, Micah, because there were quite a few. Um, DanRadcliffe.co.uk. I mean, some of these were like really big um, fan sites that, although they were named after, you know, Dan Rad, for instance, um, just had like upper tier people working on them that were doing as much coverage as we were just with that specific focus. Can't forget about Tom Felton.ws. <laughs> wait laura was that the one you worked on yeah so Ah. we so it was myself and one of the other fan fiction moderators at that point mugglenet was like affiliating itself with some of these um actor dedicated fan sites and would have them in the navigation menu so it was like this is mugglenet's like official like affiliate dan radcliffe site or rupert grint site well all the act, all the main actors had one except for Tom Felton, and so we were hunting around for uh, URLs. Like we were trying to buy the domain, but .com, .net, it was all taken except for .ws, which is <laughs> Western Samoa. So <laughs> um, we we did that for a while, um, and we like, I, yeah, we actually copied 
uh, MuggleNet style and everything. Like we paid yep. a designer <laughs> to put it together. Um, it was it was fun times, but it was just funny because you had this list of sites that were all like .com, .net. Well, Western Samoa, isn't that where Saul Goodman graduated uh, with a law degree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's right. That's really funny. <laughs> the competition got serious. I mean, particularly between MuggleNet and Leaky. We were very competitive with each other. And it seems really stupid in hindsight. I have a story about that, actually. Uh oh. Oh, we've all got stories. I know, I know, I know. Can we share on here? (laughs) A story comes to mind. It is safe for work. Listeners at work, it's totally (laughs) safe. No, we were talking about the idea that I might have gotten into MuggleCast transcribing, right? So the day that the, I want to say Chamber of Secrets DVD came out is in April of the following year. And there was a uh, an interview with, I think, Rupert Grint and Newsround's Lizo. Uh, or it was J.K. Rowling and Newsround Slizer. That's what it was. And I was sitting at home, nothing much to do, when the interview came out. And I thought I would be the first person. I would help MuggleNet out and be the first person to publish the transcript of this interview that was a special feature specifically. And you remember, you can't get this video on YouTube. It's not a thing, you know, anywhere else. So I listened to it and, you know, kept pausing and playing. I mean, transcribing is very difficult. And uploaded it. And MuggleNet at the time didn't have uh, any transcript sections for interviews. And so I ended up crossing enemy lines into Leaky Cauldron. And I emailed them. And I said, hey, um, it turns out MuggleNet doesn't have a use for this. But I'm Eric. I work for MuggleNet. And here's the transcript that I just made of this brand new special feature on on the Chamber of Secrets DVD. And it was very well received. And they put it on the site. And... Within two days, I want to say, I went back just to check on it, you know, see my work on leakycauldron.org, and it had been replaced. There was a message by Melissa, who I didn't know at the time. Who was Melissa? I don't know. Saying that, thank you very much to Eric at MuggleNet for his, um, what did she say? His version, his attempt, his... It, it was something that I took, like, it was very hurtful for his uh, version of this interview. But we have a more accurate interview up now <laughs> from so-and-so. And I, now, again, I was 15. I don't, I can't really blame her, right? Um, it's possible that due to the accents, I got something wrong. It's possible due to grammar that my thing wasn't wasn't complete. But, I mean, that was the first interaction I had with Leaky was... My my transcript was was replaced by something that was a little better, <laughs> by a, but probably by oh an adult. Gosh. Okay, probably by an adult. So oh, they could have just updated it and not said anything. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. yeah. There was yeah, there was little stuff like that over the years. I remember one time. Um, I don't even remember what it was, but it was an image that had come out related to. Half Blood Prince, and it was like I remember Emerson was making a big deal about it because Leaky had gotten their own exclusive copy, and they of course had put a watermark on it. And he was like, "I need you to find this image without Leaky's watermark on it." And so I'm like, panic searching Google, like trying to find this thing. And I was talking to one of my other friends on the site, and she was like, you know, I have Photoshop. I could probably take that watermark out. 
Um, <laughs> and she did and sent it back to me. And I was like, but what if they know? What if they find out that we stole it? <laughs> yeah. So well, I, we now. didn't end up using it because I was too scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, That's basically funny. the way I was just thinking about this, you know, it, MuggleNet and Leaky Cauldron were basically Gryffindor versus Slytherin and <laughs> Veretta Serum and HPNA were like Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. And then like Harry Potter fan zone is just Durmstrang or Bo Batten's like just vibes, man. Just <laughs> they don't vibes. care. They're off in their own land. And right. Know. But yeah, no, yeah. Leaky was always the big, uh, what about snitch seeker? Th- that's yeah. another one. Oh yeah. Snitch seeker too. Yeah. And just getting back to the, the leaky thing. I think that's it is, is holding themselves to a high standard versus, you know, we were very much by the fans for the fans and it was just a total different mentality. Also, and like, yeah. Also adults. Like, I mean, if you look at who was running the leaky college and like Andrew touched on this earlier where MuggleNet was really being run by teenagers, right. And, and maybe mm-hmm. a few people in their early twenties and, but the leaky cauldron mm-hmm. was full. They were adults. Right. They still yeah. are adults, but I mean, they, you know, like a different perspective. No, you know, like Melissa was working in the field of journalism, you know, as an adult in New York City. Like it was, it, you know, it's it was a very professional site. She knew what she was doing. 100%. Mm-hmm. But we're but all really all close water to under that, the yeah. bridge now, right? Yeah. And oh, it is. It's very, all yeah. stupid and well, I mean, it's so and funny. stupid when you look back on it, honestly. <laughs> Some of the stuff that we used to get wound up about, not just us, by the way, like this is across the board. Oh, yeah. Like some of the rivalries that went on were just, was very petty. <laughs> There were some big fights over yeah. emails. I've got email <laughs> chains that could be that are as long as a book that Eric doesn't want to type into a computer. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, and I remember like seeing some of those email chains and being like, oh, yeah, Andrew, like lay down the law. <laughs> God, I hated all that. Get him, Sims. I hated Get every, him. I hated all of that so much. Um, Okay, so I have a little surprise for everybody. I can't wait. So I wanted to review our About Us profiles on MuggleNet.com <laughs> oh back in 2005. <laughs> they are so tacky. I have two separate archives of the page here to find the best ones. Uh, who wants to have theirs read first? Can I volunteer for never? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. Baptism by fire. Hit me. Okay, so uh, Eric, I read your one in 2007, and I was like, oh, this isn't very cringe. But then I found one from 2005 that oh, I thought was- Oh, thank you so much for that. More thank cringe. You. Okay, yeah. so Eric, aged 17, I have now had the distinct pleasure and honor of nearing my third year working here at MuggleNet. This November marks the hat. anniversary of- <laughs> Did this boy know that he would get a hat? For all of oh, this. Oh boy, <laughs> if only he knew. This November marks the anniversary of when I first contributed to the site after becoming a Potter profile. On that ever fateful day, I got to meet Emerson, the big man. And at that time, this site didn't have all the brilliant and cheery people which now make up this beautiful page. That's right. For definition of cheery, scroll up to Damon. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> M, you had a nickname for him, M. Asked me if I knew HTML, which I basically the story that Eric told. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that that's about it. So yeah, um, not bad. I remember actually everybody called Emerson M back in the day. I yeah, think. yeah, or at least half the site did. All right, Laura. Oh God. <laughs> Aged sixteen. 
I have been happily working here at MuggleNet for over a year now and have enjoyed every minute of it. That's Around the site, you'll find me updating my various <laughs> sections, making the occasional news posts, and sometimes even making appearances in the comments. Recently, I've been extended the pleasure of having a co-host role on MuggleCast, achieved by weeks of nagging on my part. Outside of MuggleNet, I'm a homeschooler and a junior in high school. I can often be found reading and writing, as well as obsessing over music, acting, arguing politics, and harassing my fellow staff members via any means electronically possible. I haven't quite got down telepathy yet. I first got into Harry Potter... That was yeah. your joke in the profile. Oh my Everybody had a God. joke in their profile. I hate myself. I first, <laughs> <laughs> I first got into Harry Potter when I received the first three books for my 11th birthday, and I am a self-proclaimed Sliffin Clough. What? That oh. pretty much sums it up. Laura, so you were all four houses? <sighs> apparently. Apparently. <laughs> when did you change your mind? Do you remember? I don't remember writing that. <laughs> Any of that sliffin cluff. This is why nobody wants to. Nobody wants to go back. Laura, it's okay. To their teenage years, <laughs> because now we we have the the benefit of uh, retrospect to show us how cringy we were. <laughs> oh man, your other one too is really cringe. I'll just read the first couple sentences. <laughs> If anyone had told me this time two years ago that as a result of getting my job here at MuggleNet, I'd be heard by tens of thousands of people all over the world and that I get to travel to loads of great places because of it, I probably wouldn't have believed them. It's all true, though. It is true. It's true. But tacky. And I think this is is a thing about, like, staff profiles. I feel like this was also kind of um, an iconic thing that all the Potter fan sites were doing was they would have this miles long staff page for anybody who contributed anything (laughs) to the site. And it was your little outlet to sort of feel like, yeah, I'm important. (laughs) Yeah, it's like your MySpace profile, but on And it's like, nobody's reading this. (laughs) But people definitely were. Yeah. When it mattered the most was J.K. Rowling's fan site award. Because what she ended up doing at the very end of it was using MuggleNet's About Us page, writing down the names that appeared, like literally in the same order, Emerson, Ben, Jamie, Michael, Laura, whatever. I, gentlemen, I salute you. And it was literally just her reading down the page. So, But it was only like five people. I think she only picked the senior staff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can we talk about that? How MuggleNet had senior staff? Listen, I was up there longer than I should have been. (laughs) For somebody who was only updating one section, even weekly, like, I'll be honest about this. The only reason that I'm in that fansite award is because nobody moved me down lower on the list where I (laughs) probably should have been. Um, But hey, you were published on her site, so that's that's cool. It was nice. Well... I didn't meet her at Carnegie Hall years later, but... (laughs) You know, at least I got that. <laughs> All right. Micah's profile. All 2007. Right. Age 24. You can blame Kevin and Andrew for me being here. <laughs> I first started working for MuggleNet in July 2005. I offered to do the transcripts for MuggleCast and things kind of went from there. Now I have a whole team of transcribers working with me, making sure the show's transcripts get out every week. They really do a great job. I also do MuggleCast's weekly news segment, where I attempt to satirize the past week's top Harry Potter news and occasionally prod Joe to update her site. 
It has magically worked once, so no reason to stop there. When I'm not doing MuggleCast work, I do have an actual job. Shocking. I am the coordinator of internet and new media for the AFL. Basically, all that means is I run their website and handle their podcasts and other new media. Funny how working with the site has helped in the real world. Didn't you just say that earlier? (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) I'm telling you, we are nothing but our same stories that we've been telling for 14 years, 19 years. Oh, man. Not to mention, Micah, you've made that like kind of prodding JK Rowling for updates part of your brand. It is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I need a shirt. Micah's was pretty birthday. Prod daddy. I get results. And then mine is just like so cringe. Do you want me to read yours? Yeah, 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 I'll read Andrew. It. Yeah, I, read it. There's a particularly cringe moment that I'm hoping you're going to read. I'm entering my senior year at Shawnee High School, located in sunny South Jersey. This means I'm supposed to be preparing for college and all that. However, I find myself being distracted by Harry Potter. MuggleCast keeps me busy on a weekly basis, MuggleNet's news keeps me busy on a daily basis, and managing the site and its staff keeps me busy on an hourly basis. So, in the words of you two, time won't leave me as I am. <laughs> Vomit. <laughs> Bono is right. This craziness is only going to last a couple more years, but that's okay. Oh, my God. Because as I'm sure the entire MuggleNet staff could agree, who would have thought Harry Potter can make life so much fun? Strangely similar to Jamie's story, I too learned about Harry Potter when my teacher read Sorcerer's Stone to my class. Soon after we finished reading it, I went to the local bookstore with a friend to pick up a new book to enjoy. To my huge surprise, right at the front of the bookstore was the newly released Chamber of Secrets. I purchased the book and began reading it with a friend during our million sleepover. (laughs) 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 These days, the only sleepovers I do are in Vegas (laughs) when we're in $1,000 night suites. AKA Adam's living room. Hello. Uh, See, some things just don't change. However, it is nice to reminisce about how I first heard of the book. Thanks, Mrs. Wilson. Oh, I don't get what I was saying. I purchased the book and began reading it with a friend during our millionth sleepover. These days, the only sleepovers I do are in Vegas when we're in 1K per night suite. See, some things don't change. What didn't change? The sleepovers? Yeah. No. Like, it's dumb. You were flexing. It was it was a flex. We stayed in a one thousand dollar a night suite when uh, for our first Harry Potter conference, and that was in Vegas. It was a big suite, yeah. like we had a wraparound that balcony. Was a, that was a good deal. That suite, a wet was... bar, two full bedrooms, each with their own bathroom, a huge living area. Like, I mean, a lot of people were staying in that room. Yeah. So it had bidets. <laughs> it had bidets. My first and only time using a bidet. <laughs> But I also just wanted to call out my favorite movies, favorite TV shows, and favorite band section sections. I have a confession to make. I added movies, TV shows, and bands in here that I didn't actually like just because I wanted it to look like I was actually listening to and consuming different things when in all reality, I wasn't watching anything but Family Guy. I was only listening to Bruce and U2, and I didn't watch any movies. So mm-hmm. I just... Threw in random movies and so yeah, some things really don't change. <laughs> <laughs> but also, LOL at me putting Bowling for Columbine as one of my favorite movies. <laughs> it's a documentary oh my God. about the Columbine shooting. The only reason I think I put that in there is because I really liked Michael Moore as a documentarian. But why would I say that's one of my favorite movies? It's about a real shooting. Yep, just. When I think about 
oh, I want to pop something in and unwind <laughs> Bowling for Columbine. I know, Bowling for Columbine. Oh, man. How embarrassing. Uh, Andrew, are you and I tied for cringiest staff profile? Or like maybe, yeah. maybe we should make a poll. Yeah, we should. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> I think mine's more cringy, just because I, as Bono would say, <laughs> uh. some line from a U two album. I tried to make a joke about telepathy. That yeah, was, that was pretty. That bad was pretty too. bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this episode is quite long. Let's get to these submissions from our listeners, though what people loved about Harry Potter fan sites in, in general or um, MuggleNet specifically. Micah, do you want to read the first one? Sure. First one comes from Jen who says, oh my gosh, so many memories coming back to me. I loved when MuggleNet let you change the theme of the website. I spent a lot of time on the MuggleNet fan fiction and Harry Potter fan fiction, as well as the message boards where everyone asked for banners and chapter art for their fan fics. I remember trying out Harry Potter RPG, but I didn't really get into it. This one comes from Sarah. MuggleNet had a section with fan-submitted Harry Potter song parodies that I absolutely loved. I would memorize the lyrics and put the original versions on a CD to sing them in the car. It also inspired me to write my own parodies. I have a notebook dedicated to just uh, my Harry Potter ones. Honestly, I probably owe my love of writing parodies in general to that one page. (laughs) That's cool. This next one comes from Roxanne. Roxanne says, back in 2001, I joined Hogwarts Online, or HOL for short. Unlike the other virtual Hogwarts I came across back then, the school year ran in real time, and you had to participate in actual classes with homework to move on to the next year. Each house had a Quidditch team, matches were trivia-based, and we had summer camp activities in my house common room and the HOL forums where I did most of my Harry Potter theorizing and was the first place I logged on after finishing each new book. I ended up sticking with HOL for all seven years as a student, including OWL and Newt exams, then one more semester as a professor before I finally stepped away. Wow, that's dedication. Yeah, definitely. And the last one comes from Catherine, who says, MuggleNet was my homepage for so many years. I have fond memories of checking the news on there multiple times a day. I think the biggest news that stands out in my memory is the Anelli Sparks rolling interview from when Half-Blood Prince came out. The word delusional hasn't been the same since. (laughs) Fan sites announcing whenever the door opened on JK Rowling's site was another big one for me. And then having to go back to the fan site for help with whatever puzzle needed solving. Glad they had my back when I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. The delusional scandal rocked the fandom like few things did ever. That was a big one. Definitely. So thanks to everybody who submitted some memories. On our Patreon this week, we're going to have a new installment of Bonus MuggleCast, and we will be talking about Potter partying. And I'm talking about the parties we had at the Harry Potter conferences specifically, but also um, some stories from the Harry Potter movie premieres as well. We uh, wanted to put that on Patreon because uh, we're going to be opening up a little more than we normally do, I think, on this show. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And speaking of our Patreon, like I said at the top of the show, we launched a poll to uh, determine which movie we will record a commentary for next. 
And this actually has me a little surprised. I'm just going to refresh it one more time to make sure I'm getting the latest results. Prisoner of Azkaban is actually in the lead right now with 49 votes. Yeah. Mm. So it looks like we'll be talking about movie three, recording a commentary for that one. In second is Sorcerer's Stone, and I thought that would actually win this poll. I would like that to win. If I could put the energy out into the world. (laughs) Well, if we don't do it now, we will do it later this year because the film is turning 20 this November. Right. So thanks to everybody uh, who is voting in that poll right now, and thanks to all our patrons, as always. It's time for Quizage. Last week's question. What is the common name of the family of flowering plants, Solanaceae, which include tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, bell, and chili peppers? The correct answer was nightshades. They are all nightshades. Even potatoes and tomatoes are a little bit poisonous, says somebody named You Coulda Had a Bad Witch. Y'all failed muggle herbology in the last episode, they say. Oh. Well, anyway. Even Plant Daddy? I guess. I don't know. But uh, we get a lot of funny names in the history of funny names. Steve, the Swedish short snout, the revenge of pious thickness, no-nose Voldemort, George is a king, somebody named Swim Practice, somebody named Andrew's Lover, Moldy Moldy Bort Voldemort. Uh, Matt Britton says, I spelled it wrong the last time, so I hope this is right, question mark. And they actually (laughs) did get Matt Britton's real name right. Oh my gosh. And somebody named Hellebore Queen and a couple others. Wings of Potter. Congratulations, everybody. And, uh, oh, somebody sent in as actually a real-life herbologist. So that's fun. Oh. They did get the right Mm. answer. So congratulations, you get to keep your herbologist card. (laughs) Okay, and uh, next week's question. Some of the earliest Harry Potter fan conventions were run by a group called HPEF. What does HPEF stand for? Submit your answers to us over on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. We also have the phone line, 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. You can also send a voice memo to MuggleCast at gmail.com. If you call in, just try to keep your message about a minute long. No longer, please. Peace and love. Peace and love. (laughs) And a couple of other reminders. If you could take a moment to do the following things, we would appreciate it as they all help us continue to run and grow the show. Make sure you are following MuggleCast in whatever podcasting app you use to listen to the show so you get every episode as soon as it's released. Follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And finally, we would love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You'll get ad-free MuggleCast, bonus MuggleCast installments, a personalized video thank you message from one of us, access to our live streams, and so much more. Our Patreon is the reason why the show is a weekly podcast right now, so we are very grateful that you support us there so we can dedicate the time the show needs. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye. Bye.